Hey, welcome to Good Behavior Podcast. I'm Brian Hall, and today's featured guest is Tim Meskers. Tim is best known for his work with Brown Recluse and his current project, Garden Gate. The song we're listening to now is Brown Recluse. It's called Impressions of a City Morning from the album Evening Tapestry. Brown Recluse is no longer a band, but they had a good run in the late aughts. P.S. I hate that word. And they achieved pretty substantial recognition, including, for what it's worth, a very positive Pitchfork review of their album Evening Tapestry in 2011. Tim currently makes music under the name Garden Gate, having released his debut full-length Dark Harvest in 2016. Here's a little clip from Garden Gate. I met Tim shortly before he began releasing material as Garden Gate, so I didn't know him during the Brown Recluse era, and I had never been to his place before tonight when I'd meet up with him to talk for this podcast episode. Tim's apartment was located above a laundromat in South Philly, and I would learn that he had lived there for 10 years. 10 years seems like a long time. I remember spending my 20s bouncing from neighborhood to neighborhood, but this place, roommates and romantic partners would come and go, but Tim had stayed. Until now, a circumstance would have it. When I arrived, there were boxes and signs of an impending move, and Tim informed me that, after a decade here, he had been priced out of the neighborhood and was relocating to West Philly. I nodded sympathetically, tried to pet his roommate's cat, she bit me, and we went upstairs. We spent most of the evening in Tim's studio, a cozy room filled with vintage gear and mystical decor. There was an owl theme, including a giant owl lamp, a few tapestries, an astrology poster, and something that immediately caught my eye, a collage that I recognized as the Dark Harvest album artwork. Oh man, this is the original collage work that is the album art. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's is so one. cool. I love. I didn't even realize that you make your artwork through. I thought it was like digital collage, mm-hmm. not um, analog. But you're just like cutting stuff out of what, like magazines or what? Yeah, just a mixture of old magazines, old books, um, kind of any random source that strikes my eye from like a design perspective or like a content perspective or if I have like something particular that I'm looking for like a feeling that I want to convey then I'll kind of be on the lookout for that as I'm at you know used bookstores or yard sales or something like that now I've got a um, massive collection of partially cut books that I'm going to be 
logging to my new place. It's like eight boxes of collage resources. I understand that podcasts are an auditory medium, but I do suggest if you're able, as in not driving a car right now, that you take a look at the album artwork for Dark Harvest as I asked Tim about the imagery he chose. I'm curious because he created it himself, and it's very striking, and it complements the music very well, and, like everything Tim does, there's a meaning behind it all. So the whole, the whole there's this concept of this uh, mirror mansion, which is like this motif that's been popping up in the music since like the Brown Recluse uh, period. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like um, like reflections or mirrors. Like actually, it's a the background image is an image that I trash picked. It's of a house on a lake, and you can see like the reflection of the house like uh, in the mm-hmm. lake there. Yep. So then, you know, there's some other motifs that show up on the album as well. Um, the idea of the mirror mansion is kind of like this portal between different perspectives where you can uh, kind of go back and forth between the two and sometimes there's like a positive side and a negative side it, had, it, was, it started with a really strange dream and then interestingly I told other people this dream and they had very similar dreams although the, although the setting was different the feeling that they got was similar huh. um, so in the upper left hand corner there's like a healing herbs and like a, a spiral staircase the spiral staircase is the first song right. on the track um, spiral staircase is like um, so Stairs, kind of the, the potentially go up or down, is in shamanic theory or kind of like intercultural th- shamanism. Usually, there's like this idea of um, using images to trigger your subconscious into the state where you can get additional information or interact with additional aspects of yourself or independent entities, depending on your perspective. So, the staircase is kind of like this liminal space um, between worlds. And I feel like a spiral staircase kind of reminds me of like a DNA strand or something. Yeah, totally. So it's totally. like your, your personal growth or personal evolution. That was a little clip from the first track of the album called Spiral Staircase. Back to Tim. Um, the butterfly, or moth rather, I guess, um, kind of reinforces the themes of positive transformation. Um, cats are like a huge influence for me, and actually um, the song Moonchild is, is about Moonchild is a cat. It was this amazing cat that uh, a previous partner had and uh, when we um, stopped being in a relationship I no longer uh, I was able to spend time with this cat until shortly before he passed. So that's the Moonchild. He was there throughout the making of the album, and he's a constant inspiration. And he loved music. Let me stop there and play some of this track, Moonchild, about this beloved ex-lover's cat. Of autumn. 
Then you kind of have this person in the lower left hand um, corner who's um, reflecting on this sort of um, the ruins of uh, an ancient civilization and in the window of this ruin is an amethyst cluster and amethyst kind of is another symbol of healing. This um, indecipherable plant here, I have no idea what it is actually. I got, cool. It is really cool. I got a book called uh, Navajo Witchcraft huh. um, on uh, dark magic and Navajo sort of native population is really interesting um, but this book is probably from the late 50s and you know the, when I opened it up that fell into my lap so mm. I thought that was um, a sign really striking and from a color and size perspective if it were the collage so right. that was kind of neat and uh, sort of um, concepts associated with uh, goddess worship pop up in the music a lot so there's a uh, a statue of uh, Diana, sort of pointing, and if this is the protagonist, there's this kind of relationship there. Um, owls, I think, are an interesting symbol. Um, in addition to being a tchotchke, I think they have a place in a lot of different cultures as a sort of uh, messenger between the worlds of the living and the dead. Um, then, of course, the white candles symbolize uh, white candles, uh, the other group that I did with Mark. <laughs> oh, that's a little nod. Wait, that's a nod to that's a white nod candles? That's candles, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Let me explain this. So, in addition to Brown Recluse and Garden Gate, Tim has also worked on a project called White Candles with his friend and longtime musical collaborator, Mark Saddlemeyer. More on that later. So after telling me about the Dark Harvest collage, Tim tells me about the instruments in the room. Along one wall, there's a big, beautiful Yamaha Clavanova. So um, this is my primary songwriting tool, actually, this Yamaha Clavanova. Um, there was a period of time where people were offering me for a year because they knew I made music, which is wow. really thoughtful. Um, it would end up uh, a lot of the time being like um, something that maybe wasn't necessarily... Um, in the sonic palette that I was looking for, like a like a '90s little kid's keyboard or something mm-hmm. like that, and I, you know, politely decline. Mm-hmm. Um, so my one one of my coworkers was like, "Hey, you know, do you want this old keyboard? Where I'm just going to toss it." Um, uh, she, she had a falling out with her in-laws, and it had been a gift to her child. Uh, and I was kind of it was kind of far, and I was like, "Oh gosh, oh, I don't know, like." I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be like a little, like a, a Radio Shack keyboard or something, like a, right. something sort of unimpressive. So I got out there and it was this this beautiful piano and I was totally floored by it. And <laughs> yeah. it, it, it ended up being the piece of equipment that I used more than anything else. And I, I really appreciate that, uh, the kindness there. And what's this? This is a Roland Rhythm 77, which is something that was used really heavily um, on Dark Harvest, actually, it's just an old drum machine which has a really distinctive sound. Man, what year is this from? I want to say it's like '79. Oh my god, that's awesome! I think this was the beat that I used on Two Swords, actually. Something like that. <laughs> Rad. On the opposite wall sits a whirly, a guitar, a bass, a Heathkit amp, 
That's what everything's running through, this old amp that Tim explains they'd send you the parts and then some hobbyist in the 60s had put it together. There's a CP20 piano harpsichord. I think anytime there's sort of a... I'm so sorry. Sorry. Um, like, a, like a ringy harpsichord sound, like it's, it's on this thing. On top of that, there are two synths, a Yamaha CS15 and CS15D, which Tim explains is a Japanese version of the same thing, but with presets. What's this up here? That's a theremin, actually. No way! Yeah, Mark and I built that um, back when he lived here. You actually, built a theremin? Yeah, yeah. All right, this is the second time Mark has come up, so let me talk about Mark. Mark Saddlemeyer is a friend, a musician, an engineer. Literally, he has a master's in electrical engineering, so I shouldn't have been surprised that he would know how to build a theremin. But even after knowing him for a couple years now, I never cease to be amazed by his unique skill set. Mark sometimes plays synths in my band, Grubby Little Hands, and he's also helping produce our next record. He knows more about gear than anyone I know. He helped me pick out my bass amp, which I love. He's helped several other bandmates acquire various hardware and software as well. He fixes things that are broken. I've literally seen him solder something in the middle of band practice, and then five minutes later, everything's working, and he's playing again. But Tim, Tim has known Mark for much longer than I've known Mark. Mark was in Brown Recluse since its inception in 2006. And while Tim was the primary songwriter, at times he says it was Mark's production and arranging that were equally or more important. Mark at one point lived in this very apartment with Tim. They had recorded evening tapestry in the room Tim and I were sitting in. I had invited Mark to be a part of making this episode, but sensed that he wasn't interested. I respect that, but Mark, I'm still going to talk about you. Anyway, White Candles, which you might remember us mentioning earlier because the Garden Gate artwork contained a little homage, White Candles is another project that the two of them worked on together. Here's Tim when I asked him about White Candles. It was mostly just uh, the two of us and uh, Dan Steinberg, who also played in Brown Recluse and on uh, some of the Garden Gate recordings. That was a, a project that Mark had really um, spearheaded, and then um, I kind of added vocals and co-arranged uh, some of the pieces. Um, so it was really cool to work with him in a different capacity as kind of with him as kind of the primary creative force. The process was so inspirational that I feel like even on songs that Mark is not actually necessarily on now, mm-hmm. his influence is on. Like, all of my music has challenged me, and I think that um, we don't always have the same ideas about things, but we complement each other in a way that um, ends up coming out with something that I'm really proud of. White Candles song whose French title, if I try to say it, I will butcher it, but it translates to Wake Me From My Dreams. Tim said at one point he was tracking vocals through a fan to get a really unnatural vibrato. He tells me he wrote the lyrics to that song while suffering a terrible migraine in the passenger seat of a former partner's car 
while driving through the woods during a thunderstorm in a really bourgeois town where she was a live-in nanny. So let's get some chronology squared away. Brown Recluse released their debut EP called Black Sunday in 2006 and then another called The Soft Skin in 2009. That same year, Dead Format Records put out a release that included demos of tracks that would one day become their debut full-length. Brown Recluse then signed to Slumberland Records, an indie pop label who has also had on their roster Stereo Lab and The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. And it was on Slumberland that they released Evening Tapestry, their acclaimed debut LP in 2011. Around the same time, they released a companion album, Panoptic Mirror Maze. Brown Recluse was making moves and saw some considerable exposure. They earned that aforementioned Pitchfork review, they were playing shows, including an official showcase at South by Southwest, and they did quite well over the years with licensing, landing licensing deals with Warner Brothers, Crate and Barrel, Apple, Microsoft, and Comcast. They even had a song featured prominently in an episode of Veronica Mars, a TV show which I've never seen, but it stars Kristen Bell and has a 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes, so I should probably watch it. White Candles followed Brown Recluse, first releasing a digital EP, Flowers for Delia, on New Zealand label, Active Listener Records, in 2014. Then Sunstone Records in the UK heard it and asked if they wanted to do a 45, so they released Monolith on Sunstone in 2015. Tim teased the first few Garden Gate tracks on Good Behavior Records in late 2015. He then signed to Sunstone, that same label that put out the White Candles 45, and they would release the full-length Dark Harvest in 2016 on Beautiful Pink Final, which sold out during pre-sale. Dark Harvest was also released on cassette via our friends on the West Coast, Golden Brown Records. The album has been very well received, earning a five-star review in Shindig Magazine, deservedly so, but a bit of recognition which Tim was particularly stoked about, having been a longtime reader of Shindig. Garden Gate has since put out an instrumental EP called Bonfires. That was around Halloween, Tim's favorite holiday. That gets us caught up to present. During our recorded conversation, Tim would express his gratitude to all the people at the labels who showed interest in his music. He mentioned everyone. Mike from Slumberland, Chris from Dead Format, Ant and Simon from Sunstone, Nathan from Active Listener, me and Donnie from Good Behavior, Brooke and Tom from Golden Brown. Tim says a lot of sweet things, and they're all very genuine and heartfelt. But in the interest of time, I'm delivering the whole Tim Mesker's history and discography in Cliff's Notes form. If one thing isn't abundantly clear, the output has been prolific and consistently of the highest quality. But I did want to know more about why in 2012, Brown Recluse had called it quits when things were seemingly going so well. So we kind of were at this point where we were getting these really amazing offers to do things. And uh, it just, the scheduling became a nightmare. It would be like... uh, Oh, you know, we got an offer to play a festival with this like really large band that we all like. Someone would be like, "Oh, there's a there's a waffle breakfast at my firehouse that day." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." Um, you can't just some, like some of. I think at that point it had been uh, there was some other just interpersonal dynamic issues, and it got to the point where um, I think the frustration associated with it, um, unfortunately, is what kind of caused it to just fizzle yeah but and it, it, yeah it kind of slowed down and then I feel like I, I've, I feel like uh, it's a constant struggle for me to, to stay caught up with my own um, output mm-hmm. like Dark Harvest for example those songs were done years they were done years ago yeah and I feel like um, it wasn't moving at a pace where I could work on new material at the rate that I wanted to and I feel like uh, it just we had all these awesome opportunities that we weren't taking advantage of and it just seemed uh, 
like it was probably a good time to call it a day. And I do regret that we weren't able to um, take advantage of some of the things that came up because I feel like there was a good dynamic, and I feel like the the band had changed. There's there's several lineup changes over the course of the years, and I do think we had a pretty cool iteration when we finally um, folded. I think our last show was at the Institute of Contemporary Art in West Philly, oh, yeah. which was an awesome, really fun show. So that was it. Less than a year after signing to a highly regarded label, releasing a brilliant indie pop album, impressing the blogosphere, earning some very coveted exposure and opportunities, and winning adoring fans across the world, they were done. Scheduling difficulties, interpersonal dynamics, and a displeasure with the rate of progress. Probably some of the most common, but no less devastating challenges that bands face. And surely Brown Recluse is one of thousands of bands to have folded under similar circumstances. considered keeping the name at least there was clearly some momentum there but no brown recluse was a band garden gate material was more solo work the music was going in a different direction too so tim saw this as an opportunity to create something new and he was excited about that it felt like something yeah new and i was um the production work historically had been a lot more collaborative and with garden gate it was um i was doing uh Maybe 90% of the production work on my own. Yeah. So uh, I just felt like clean slate, like, let's refine the vision. I'm like a, I'm nuts about branding. So like it was cool for me also to like have have an opportunity to... Rebrand. To rebrand. And there are some notable differences. We've heard from both projects already, but let's listen now to a short clip from Brown Recluse and a short clip from Garden Gate for a side-by-side comparison that I think highlights some of the differences. Here's Brown Recluse. The lipstick stain remains of a crumpled handkerchief Left on the table overnight After the club That was notorious off of Panoptic Mirror Maze. Now here's Garden Gate. That was House of Learning from Dark Harvest. 
So one of the words Tim used to describe the mood of Brown Recluse was buoyant relative to Garden Gate, which he suggested could be uncomfortable to listen to at times. His words, not mine. And personally, I find Dark Harvest to be extremely listenable. In fact, I remember the very first time my wife and I listened to it, she mentioned that it reminded her of, of Montreal, which is one of our favorite bands. But I totally get what Tim is saying. It is definitely darker. Of course, you could pinpoint some of the specific elements of the music that contribute to the different moods, whether it's writing chord progressions rooted in more minor keys versus major keys, or I think the instrumentation plays a big part in it. Brown Recluse, the clean, jangly electric guitars were a big part of the sound palette. Sometimes they used horns, whereas Garden Gate relies more heavily on the harpsichord and ghostly synth sounds. But all that being said, there are a number of similarities between the projects, too. They're very melodic, with catchy, singable hooks. They employ popular and familiar song structures, and with both projects, the careful arrangements and the production show extreme attention to detail. And, of course, Tim's voice is a constant, and it's quite inviting. It will sort of lure you in, no matter how dark the context. For these reasons, a comprehensive listening through the entire discographies of both projects, and you'll find the contrast less stark than maybe what those two specific clips would suggest. There are even some Brown Recluse songs, like Paisley Tears, that could easily pass for Garden Gate songs, perhaps foreshadowing where Tim was going. And of course, much of the evolution can be attributed to what Tim was listening to at the time. I feel like uh, Brown Recluse was really influenced by like um, British Invasion and sort of like San Francisco um, psych pop. Um, mm-hmm. the, I think the Zombies were probably like a huge influence on uh, Brown Recluse. Um, Mark and I were both really into. Um, like those Nuggets compilations. It's like a weird smattering of like cool 60s music that has flown off the radar. We've got really into soundtrack music, um, horror soundtrack music, sort of um, Italian horror, the Giallo stuff. Some compilations, and that was a huge influence on... Tell me about Italian horror. How did you get into Italian horror music? I don't know. I already have, like, a Baroque sensibility in terms of, like, rock music in general. Mm-hmm. So to hear um, these really amazing, thoughtful arrangements uh, that are really just mood, mood pieces mm-hmm. um, is something that's just really appealing to me. I like uh, Piero Emiliani a lot. I think um, Alessandro Alessandroni did the soundtrack uh, to this movie called The Devil's Nightmare. And The Devil's Nightmare was definitely, like, uh, in particular... That's cool. Uh, in particular, was pretty influential. Just the arrangements and the overall mood just has a cool sort of uh, sense of... like, sophisticatedly lazy menace or something. It's sort of, like, very atmospheric... Um, so that was that was a big influence, actually. I got really into international music, also. Um, I was always into sort of the Tropicalia stuff, but then um, I got into, like, uh, just... If I see an interesting-looking record in a language I couldn't read, <laughs> if I thought the branding was on point, I would just grab it. Grab it. And what's something you found like that? Gosh, there's this one album that I got that's a 10-inch... Uh, it's it's Japanese. It's it's like '60s mood interpretations of 
uh, minimal Japanese classical music. And there's some pieces on there that are just like haunting. And I feel like um, getting deeper into that uh, is something else that kind of differentiated Brown Recluse from Garden Gate a little bit. I intend to provide links to all of the artists he's referencing, but this one he's talking about now, I can't because even Tim doesn't know the name. You know anyone that can read kanji? <laughs> no. Because I'd love to know, because if they have other stuff, i got to find it. Several of the others mentioned are linked at goodbehavior.us slash podcast one. Yeah, Gainsbury, definitely. Um, his his in- integration of, I feel like, uh, groove, groove with a classical feel, with like a jazz feel, with like a psych feel. Like, I feel like uh, his like range was definitely an influence on me. And, um, his soundtrack work also, particularly... Um, there's this, a movie called Cannabis, and that particular soundtrack uh, really has some gorgeous themes. Um, there's another one called Slogan, which is quite good as well. And I keep pressing for more names because so many of these are new to me. Um, Dorothy Ashby, who's like a jazz harpist. Okay. Um, her stuff is, is unreal. Um, Piero Emiliani, definitely. If you can find, like... Um, Sound. I'm sure I remember the translation. Uh, five dolls in a in an August moon for an August moon. That soundtrack is like insane. Oh, and one of the things I love about these soundtracks is you'll have like a theme, and they'll take this one really amazing, gorgeous theme, and they'll do like a, a groove version of it. And they'll do like a weird, like sentimental version of it, and then they'll do like a like a like a bossa nova version of it. And you're just like, geez, this is so amazing. Like. That's something that's really cool, like, um, just hearing how people will work with the same song and, and just make it sound so different and so engaging. So turning an idea into a song, what's your process? So I guess this, the process for me is really having like a particular um, mood or situation, trying to translate the feelings and energy of that particular time period or event, um, translating that into musical terms is like kind of the general process. I've moved away from um, pure composition, sort of like sitting down with like a, like I'm going to, I'm now writing a song, like now I must write the chorus, now I must write the bridge. It's more like, how can I turn this thing that's physical into this thing that's uh, oral? The inspiration for Dark Harvest specifically, the imagery, the lyrical narrative, it came from a dream about that structure which he described very early in this episode, a portal between two alternate realities, as well as from regular tarot card readings. Tarot has always been kind of a constant for me in the background. There's a lot of references to tarot. Um, it's the underground record stuff is just a little more veiled, I think. Um, I, I took a, a workshop, a two-day workshop on... Um, like intercultural shamanism and kind of like applying shamanic principles to your everyday life and uh, I got I got pretty deep in that actually and sort of these quote unquote journeys um, informed a lot of the the content and I really wanted to try to be like a uh, what's the word intermediary between my subconscious and the music Whereas 
Brown Records was like, oh, I'm sitting down, I'm writing a song, I'm writing lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like, Garden Gay would be like me, like, doing a tarot card and like scribbling something, doing a tarot reading, scribbling something. I've, I've just come out of a journey, I'm scribbling some imagery and just uh, kind of trying not to be as, uh, trying to be a little more organic with it. Cool. Um, so tell me about tarot cards because I actually know nothing about, about them. So I feel like for tarot is, is something that a lot of people use in different ways. Um, tarot cards, uh, it's basically a series of, of symbols that have um, uh, some significance, I guess. Uh, and as you're, depending on how you um, lay out the cards, depending on what kind of, they call a spread, which is like how you arrange the cards, depending where they fall, the symbols are interpreted then in the context of that spread. So, um, I think people think it's it's um, quite mystical, and I do think that some people are quite intuitive with it and really amazing. Um, but I don't think it's something that uh, not anyone can learn. It's really a matter of studying the references and kind of um, once you have this framework um, sort of learned and. It's not something that you learn and you're done learning. It's something that's a constant evolution in terms of your understanding of the symbols. Um, you can do like card of the day and you'll be like, okay, this is what kind of energy I can expect. Or like this is, if you're doing like a, you know, you can, it's as, it's as versatile as you want it to be. And I think it's an amazing tool for sort of reflection and um, self-improvement. So for this album, I actually um, there's a particular spread that I used, um, which was kind of modeled on moon phases. So depending on um, if I was you know hitting a wall and I couldn't come up with something, then I would turn to this particular spread, and um, most of the time that would help me get to the heart of the song in a way that I couldn't do otherwise, or it would help me sort of. Um, reconceptualize the song in a way that felt right. Hmm. So, I, I can even, I can, I can do your cards after this if you want. Yeah, you ever, very cool. Have you ever had a reading before? No, I have not. Tim would make good on that offer an hour or two later. The spread we used was the Celtic Cross, which is apparently a pretty traditional spread, although he explained that the deck we were using was not a traditional deck, more of an interpretation of the traditional symbols. I shuffled, of course. That's how I influence the outcome. It's what makes it my personal reading. Then Tim went through and explained what each of the cards they got might mean based on their symbols and their placement within the spread. He explained the difference between minor and major arcana. I got the hermit. I do remember that. And there were a lot of swords in my reading. Truthfully, I don't remember too much. It was pretty late and my recorder was off, but I enjoyed it thoroughly and it certainly piqued my interest. Those Dark Harvest records, the beautiful pink vinyl that Sunstone sold out of during pre-sale, each record came with a tarot card. And so this this is was in every copy yeah, that they every, sold. Every copy that they sold, they would the person would get that, and it would be almost be like a one card reading for them from me. Pretty cool keepsake to get a unique tarot card in your vinyl. Of course, before I left, I asked Tim what was next. Um, so yeah, for musically, I guess uh, I'm currently trying to wrap up this EP uh, called Flower Crown, and then I'm also working on uh, songs for a full length album, which I think. It's going to be um, a little bit more groove-oriented than Dark Harvest, and maybe a little darker. 
Um, and darker then, harvest. Yeah, darker harvest, right? <laughs> and then, uh, and then I really want to do. Um, I want to do a lighter album, actually, of possibly like bossa nova or like folk songs influenced by like um, mythology surrounding the sea. So a lot going on. He's wrapping up an EP called Flower Crown. After that, he wants to put out a full length. Material for that is also in the works. And then after that LP, he wants to go in a different direction and make a lighter bossa nova album about the sea. And then there's this. I'm also interested in um, um, sculpture and collage. So I think at some point I I really kind of want to shift the focus and um, take a break to work on a sculpture series. I'm kind of currently compiling uh, information on folk tales featuring the the crone motif or the crone archetype from around the world. So I want to take take these different representations of the crone. Sometimes it's portrayed positively in some tales, and other times it's portrayed to sort of in quite a terrifying manner. So I really want to explore. Um, I'm also really, I'm really interested in folklore and mythology, so kind of exploring that archetype through sculpture. I'm using uh, apples, actually, to create these figurines. There's like a yeah. folk art, sort of like a folk art. Supposedly, people would create these hex apples. They would carve faces in them, and as they dry, they turn really uh, quite wizened and quite like horrifying. I didn't know previously that Tim created folk art, but honestly, it made perfect sense. And I was dying to see one of these apples, of which Tim had apparently made many, but he had given them all away as gifts. I left Tim's fresh off my first ever tarot reading, thinking the most interesting man in the world has nothing on Timothy Maskers. I use that phrase, most interesting man in the world, in reference to the beer commercials and social media memes, but the term man metaphorically. We didn't talk much about Tim's exploration of personal gender identity, but Tim identifies as trans-feminine, a gender-variant, non-binary designation. And I did, of course, ask him once I learned this which pronouns I should use for both this podcast and in life in general, to which he assured me that what I was doing was fine. We also didn't talk too much, though we did a little bit, about Tim's paranormal experiences. Tim's house is apparently haunted, and Tim told me a few examples of strange occurrences and apparitions ranging from peculiar to downright terrifying. And some of these incidents had been shared experiences with friends or others over the years, so seemingly confirming the unusual activity, which Tim now kind of took for granted. But mostly, we talked about music. Although, even that is so much more than just music. For Tim, the music was connected to everything. Artwork, dreams, tarot readings, spirituality, relationships, self-deconstruction and reconstruction. It was all connected to the music. Tim is one of the kindest people I've ever met. He's also a brilliant musician. But perhaps above all else, he's genuine. None of this was frivolous. None of this was for fashion. This was Timothy Meskers. I feel honored that he let me and all of us into his world. And with that, here's one of my favorite tracks from Brown Recluse, Hobble to Your Tomb.
This has been an episode of Good Behavior Podcast. All the songs in this episode, from featured tracks to background music, were by this episode's featured guest, used with their permission. Please visit goodbehavior.us slash podcast one and check out all the links to listen to more from Garden Gate, Brown Recluse, and White Candles. Be sure to follow Garden Gate to stay on top of any exciting updates and new music. As always, we encourage you to support your favorite artists by purchasing their albums and merchandise, attending their shows, telling your friends, or just dropping them a line to let them know how much you appreciate their work.